This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. Big show coming up, so we've got no time for the news because all the news is going to be at the start of the show. As we catch up now with Richard Crail and Mark Walker. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, joining me for a chat. First of all, g'day Richard Crail from theracetalk.com. Uh, Tony Shebeki from mypodcasthouse.com. What a, uh, what a week. What a many, many things occurring in the world of motorsport. It is quite unusual that when we wrap up the podcast on a Tuesday night, normally, uh, Australian time, <laughs> you, you have no idea about what's coming up in the next week and what the next show will hold. Mm. And seriously, if we were serious about it, we could probably do three podcasts <laughs> on the events of the past week. <laughs> The beauty of this one is, Shebex, and we'll get to the main topic in a minute, is that usually we do a podcast, as you said, on a Tuesday night, and then at about 10 o'clock Wednesday morning, just before we push publish, some massive news breaks, uh, which we miss because we're 12 hours too early. But this time we've bloody got it. We got the embargo, which is great. So if you're hearing this segment, it means that the news has come out. If you're not hearing this segment, uh, it means we're, we're at risk of breaking the embargo and we cut it out of the show. And before any journalists jump on us, yes, we are breaking the embargo, but not necessarily. We're talking about it before yeah, the embargo, not breaking but it unless that doesn't it matter. Published. It's exactly not going right. to the public. Hmm. So please do not trash our socials with things. Well, but they'll be hearing this after it's come out anyway, so it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, well, we could have recorded this on Wednesday morning. No one would know. No, I'm busy that day. <laughs> Uh, Mark Walker from theracetalk.com. I better introduce you so you can actually speak. Oh, thanks. Permission to talk. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Richard. I had a big, uh, really good spiel to start off the show with something about having more certainty about the 22 grid rather than the 21 calendar. But looks like we're starting to learn things about the 21 calendar. Well, we are. Let's kick it off from there. As you mentioned, Richard, uh, news has come out that's the Bathurst 1000 has been rescheduled to a December date, which is another one of the worst kept secrets in supercars ever. I think we'd all speculated that was probably going to be the case, but it's not just going to be the normal four days of Bathurst. It's going to be a bloody long time. <laughs> Six. Six. A week of Bathurst. That's not, that's right up there on the top of my Christmas list. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not bad. So yeah, if you've missed the news this morning, you've been living under a rock, but basically what was the Bathurst International run by ARG, Australian Racing Group, and the Bathurst 1000, supercars are joining forces. So the key ARG categories will be running with supercars uh, over a six-day event that starts on Tuesday the 30th of November, culminates in the great race on the 5th of December, which will double as the season finale for the Repco Supercars Championship. So <clears throat> I'm going to take a deep breath. You ready for this, boys? The categories will be... The Repco Supercars Championship, Dunlop Super 2 and Super 3, Porsche, Painted Dixon, Crera Cup Australia, Toyota Gazoo Racing 86 Series, Super Cheap Auto, TCR Australia, Golf Western Oil, Touring Car Masters, uh, the final round of the S5000 Tasman Series, GT World Challenge Australia, presented by Fanatac and AWS, I think it is, Super Utes and the Trans Am Series. And I forgot wow. to take a breath of my headaches, <laughs> 11 categories by Meeks, my Six days, 
Where's my race? I want a race. <laughs> the Mark Walker category. Every, yeah, it's, everyone else gets a bloody race except me. It's missing the XLs. Seriously. It it's missing Hyundai XLs. It's the only big blockbuster category that's not on that list. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. So, six days of X and uh, it, no indication yet of how the schedule is going to work. I, I've got a feeling that it may be staggered. So... Mm. I can't see supercars starting on Tuesday and Wednesday. I wouldn't have thought they'll be on track till Thursday as usual. Same would go for, for super two. I, I would have thought that maybe the ARG category start a little bit earlier. So practice qualifying Tuesday, Wednesday, start racing. And I think categories will finish earlier in the week because there's only three race slots on Sunday morning, four, if you squeeze them yeah. in before the 1000. So you've got a, fit your program so of 11 categories 10 minus supercars super two finishes on saturday traditionally anyway there's still nine categories fighting over those prime time slots on sunday morning you'd imagine crew a cup will get one of those because More they're the does. biggest biggest supercar support category yep. toyota will probably get one the other one it's a toss-up between them all it could be tcr s5000 would make sense as well tcm's had that slot but some will finish Saturday. I reckon some categories will probably finish Friday, which makes sense because it, it means you've still got a six-day race meeting, but your teams in any given category are only there for three or four days max, as you would be for a standard 1,000 weekend. So hugely ambitious, lots of water to come under the bridge before we get there, obviously, but um, it's going to be a hell of a thing. I hope, yeah. it, I hope it does all happen. I mean, obviously, we're a little way out now, but, you know, one thing about this coronavirus is that you don't know what's going to happen. Who would have thought that mm. 2021 was going to be the way that it's panned out? And, you know, all of this, everything we've done, all the closed borders and the lockdowns and the staying at home and wearing face masks, it's all there to, you know, protect the health system. So fingers crossed, whatever happens between now and the end of November, that the integrity of that's held up and whatever decisions are made between now and then, you know, we're able to still live, you know, hopefully live a much more free life than we currently are, you know? So, you know, everyone's getting vaxxed up, which is great, which is what needs to happen. And they'll probably be checking your vaccine passport as you go on the gates, I guess, you know, that seems to be the indication uh, around the traps to, if you want to go and do anything, you'll have to go and get vaxxed. So um, that's going to be a fact of life. And yeah, hopefully it all happens without a hitch. Hey, Richard, you've got the uh, release in front of you. Does it mention anything about uh, camping and the like and what's going to happen for those people? No, no. None uh, of that yet? No, ticketing opportunities will Down the come track. up in coming weeks by supercars and ticket yeah. tech. Um, I, I think that, yeah, look, there's already tickets been sold for that race, so they would all carry over. But, yeah, early days yet. And, and like Mark said, a lot of it's going to rely on what the health advice is at the time as to what capacity can be. Now, Gladys Berejiklian in New South Wales, the Premier said that that they're going to start opening at 70% fully vaxxed. They're not that far away from that, which is tremendous effort. And then 80% obviously is the national plan. Now, Dan Andrews um, has all but said that they're definitely open. Stephen Marshall in South Australia has said that at 80% fully vaxxed, they're definitely opening. And the timeline at the moment indicates late November for that over here in SA. So, but fully open doesn't necessarily mean a full house. So there could be a 20,000 cap. It could be 10,000. The camping may be allowed. It may not be allowed. If there's going to be an outbreak at a campsite at the top of Mount Panorama has all the hallmarks of being a place where COVID could spread pretty bloody quickly. So 
these are the things that everything's going to take into account. I got a feeling that the sport especially will be overcautious going into it. Yes, there's a need to get it done, but at the same time, I don't think they want to be the ones that get caught up in an issue mm-hmm. um, being a, another outbreak or serious dramas. So especially in slightly more vulnerable areas that don't have the health services that the major capital cities have. And we're talking the central West of New South Wales. And we've seen what terrible things have gone on way out further West out at Wilcana and Broken Hill even as well. So it's um, I, I would, I would speaking purely as an observer of this whole thing would suggest that can, they will be quite conservative about things like that, but at the same time, they'll do whatever they can to maximize revenue, maximize access for their punters and make sure it's still a great show. Yeah. The one thing, the other thing that uh, doesn't concern me, but she was garaging for uh, all of these cars. It's kind of, well, like I said, though, Shebex, so like I, if you stagger the categories, you can bump one category out and, yeah, Friday night. Yeah. You could move others in. I, yeah. Mate, it, it's a big paddock. The support yeah. paddocks are big. There's heaps of room. Yeah. I don't think that's a, a massive drama. Uh, the the logistics, Mark, are a, such a small factor of it, really. There's tents there already because it's a drive-in testing site mm. currently. <laughs> so we're going, that's true, yeah. We, we bump the nurses out and put in the Trans Ams. Done. But, but, sort of. But, Seriously, shouldn't they should keep that? Obviously, not have it on pit straight or in the garages, but put it in Harris Park somewhere. Like keep but, the testing there. Put a put a vaccination hub there. But there's every chance that they'll have rapid antigen testing happening by then anyway, and sure. that'll be you get swabbed on the way in and well, you know, super. sort yourself but out. Put a vaccination hub there. The Bathurst One Thousand vaccination hub, even at eighty percent fully vaxxed which is this magic number that we're going to open up at, there'll still be people that haven't got the jab. Um, yeah. So put a vaccination hub there, run it, run it. What a good, purely from the PR benefit, it's a good look for the sport. So that, that's got to be something that's on the radar as well. And, and you can create some positives from this by doing like things like testing, doing things like vaccinations as well, even when we're at a high rate of vax, um, that will be good for the event. The other thing people will be asking about is that's one uh, meeting left out of the five that are remaining four supercars to run for this year. We know the Gold Coast has also been cancelled. That was done in the last Ooh. couple of days as well. We'll talk about that. But, uh, well, yes, yes, go. No, well, I've got to bring up Richard Crail last week. On this very podcast, he said North Queensland so much better than South East Queensland. It is. And... Gold Coast, mate. Surface yeah. Paradise. Yeah. That's very southeast Queensland, Chief. Yeah. What's your point? No, no, no. no I still no, like, no. I'm allowed to like North Queensland more as than a, South as Queensland. As a holiday venue, I think North Queensland's better than South Queensland. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've got nicer fish to swim with. But southeast Queensland has sharks. North Queensland doesn't have the Gold Coast 500. So No, that's right. That's very right. No, they've got the Townsville. Oh, nobody's got the Gold Coast 500, do they? Put it, no, not even well, no. Coast. Exactly. Put it this way. I'll go to North Queensland for a holiday, but I'm more than happy to go to the Gold Coast 500, but I wouldn't right. go to Surface Paradise on a holiday. Put it well, that you way. won't be going there this year because it ain't no. happening. So this weekend is now being taken by the Bathurst uh, stuff. So what are we thinking? Are we thinking a couple of weeks properly, possibly at Queensland, and then ship them down to New South Wales, do their two weeks of quarantine and race at Sydney Motorsport Park at the same time before going to Bathurst? Is that... Sort of yeah. 
Would that be the plan? Yep. Seems so. It, it seems like Sydney or New South Wales is the is going to be the one place everyone can go. Whether they can get back or not, I think it's irrelevant at the moment to the organisers. So <laughs> they just just burn the cars, bring in Gen well, Three a bit quicker. They get the cars back. It's the people they can't get back. But you're right. Um, so. Yes, it's not a particularly well-kept secret and it's been in all the news sites that they're, they're targeting a couple of rounds at QR, a couple of rounds at Sydney Motorsport Park in late November, which will then lead into Bathurst. But there, there's clearly a bunch of details that need to work out and the Queensland rounds will be difficult because the the ideological differences between Queensland and New South Wales at the moment show no signs of abating. So there's clearly some issues in mm-hmm. uh, transporting a whole bunch of the Victorian teams up through the border and, and up to Ipswich. So they'll be quarantining and all sorts of stuff that they, they need to work out to make that happen. And as we talked about before, boys, it's so much harder to isolate a motor racing championship than it is a national rugby league club, for example. So that's something they need to, um, they need to figure out. Yeah. All right. Anything else on that boys, before we move on? It's going to be big. That's pretty big. <laughs> Stay tuned. I'm sure we'll hear more uh, in the next week or two about the finalisation of the uh, the calendar as it comes to hand. Uh, the next thing we need to talk about is some uh, silly season stuff. I don't think we – I can't remember. The week's a long time in motorsport. We didn't talk about Andre Heimgartner last week, did we? It happened after it? I assume no, it was, what was last week. Oh, no, we, we, we missed, no, we, we missed we, it. So no, Andre Heimgartner's been let go. I by, know, we, we did. We talked about that. We didn't talk about – Oh, that he's gone to Brad Jones Racing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah, I thought we had. Mm. Uh a surprise that he would pick BJR. I thought WAU well, was probably the bigger option for him, but maybe there's not a seat there. You know, E-Series Wednesday night, Andre was uh, having a bit of a chin wag there with Neil, and, and it was actually pretty revealing because Andre's gone, well, I wasn't happy the last few rounds at, uh, at Kelly Grove. Uh, Matt Payne is definitely going to replace me and he's going to move to Queensland. So good luck to him. So there's a fair bit going on there. So I'm still blown away with the whole Matt Payne thing. I'm sorry. I've, I've actually run some stats on this whole youth movement that they've got going on at the moment because, you know, Brock Feeney's in there in one of the prime seats in the championship. Matt Payne's in there without any super license points. You look at the top 10 in the championship now, SVG's been racing supercars 15 years, Wind Cup 20, Waters 11, Mostert 12, you know, Will Davison 18, Anton's the newest comer of the whole lot, and he's been there for six years, Winterbottom 19 years racing V8s, Percat 12, and I mean, you know, you don't think of these guys have been around that long, but he's been around racing these cars for 12 years, Courtney 17 years, and Will Brown's, you know, even though he's a rookie, he's been driving these cars essentially five years now. There's not a lot of plucked out of left field and suddenly you're good. You look at guys like Todd Hazel, Jack LeBrock, um, who else? Bryce Fullwood, you know, they're the next gen, the next crop that have come through and they've got plenty of runs on the board coming into supercars and they're sort of being fed to the sharks at the moment. So it'd be interesting to see how it all pans out for those three, especially at the moment uh, with these left field 18 year olds sort of coming in off the bench. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I. I don't. Feeney's not left field though, is he? No. Pain. Pain. But mm. um, probably a year early. But yeah. Yep. It's interesting. It's yeah. I, you know, how, how much does that harm your confidence if you go out there and get absolutely warped every weekend? Well, I, I suppose it depends how your confidence is. It depends on the individual. Look, some drivers wouldn't care and will just bounce it off. But 
some drivers will completely ruin their head for the rest of their careers. So it's, you just can't you can't yeah. blame that. As long as you get the good people around you, you'll be all right, I suppose. So from the Andre announcement, it, it seems it was a personality clash there. Mm. That's what we're sort of reading between the lines of everything that's been said. You know, Groves have come out and said, money's no object. doesn't matter if we've got sponsors or not. We're going to spend to win. So it, it appears that it wouldn't have been a, well, we're not going to pay you enough. So he's gone to Brad's looking for cash. I mean, I don't think Brad Jones Racing has a reputation for being the <laughs> big dollar splurger on driver wages. So it's a it's a bit of a sideways step, do you feel? You know, yeah, it's, not, I, it's not like it's a step up. I mean, it's a competent car. Percat's done really good things in it. It's been consistent top 10 performer for so long and eighth place in every race he's ever contested. But it's not, it, does, it doesn't really seem like a step up. But thing, he is now the team leader, isn't he? Yeah, 100%. And the thing for mine as well, and it was something that Nick sp- spoke about in an interview, was that he was concerned about the focus of the team and the introduction of Gen 3. But I actually think that's always been a strength of Brad Mm. Jones racing is that every time a new car's rolled out and the playing field has been control alt deleted and leveled, they've been right at the front. And it's only as the development arms race occurs that they sort of slip back from that top percentage. But remember when car of the future came out and the Freightliner car with Fabian Coulthard was very, very competitive. It was a Mm. winner. Tim Slade in that car was a winner. Brighty. Brighty, absolutely right. So a, a chassis change, joining BJR at a, a fundamental change in the rule set, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Mm. Is is it a sideways step? Yes, I think it is, with the fullest of respect to, to Brad and his team. Because if you plot both of those teams on a graph and go, okay, what team's got the most to move forward with at the moment, the most chance of improving, you have to say it's Kelly Grove Racing. Mm. Because they've got the investment now to do that and to, to spend heaps of money if they need to, to get everything in place to be a powerhouse supercar team where um, Brad has finite resources down there in Albury, the Albury-based Brad Jones Racing. It's going to be really, really interesting. But like you said, Mark, being a team leader has a, a big role, and I think going in there and leading that outfit will be but, great for Andre and great for BJR as well. So there's, there's swings and roundabouts on each side. You, you look what that did for Chaz going to Walkinshaws and being mm. the undisputed team leader 100%. there. 100%. So do we think Percat is a done deal at Walkinshaw? He's saying there's no deal done anywhere yet, which I, I take Nick at face value, but I don't buy that because I don't think you walk away from a full-time supercar seat without some certainty that you're definitely going to be on the grid. Hmm. Do we do we find him at Walkinshaw next year? Because if, if we do, that's another big step for that squad moving forward. They've taken a big leap this year. New car comes in that having two gun drivers like a Percat and a Mostert puts them back up towards the top tier. Surely that's the it's final a, piece of the puzzle. It's a nice dream pairing, isn't it? Considering that he uh, good of course, was there when they won Bathurst with Garth Tander all those years ago. So it'd be lovely for him to go back home. Well, it's a very different team, Shebeck, since then Oh, no well. doubt. Yes, it is. Yeah. Massively. But so, there's still some romance about it. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. But from a purely motor racing point of view, WAU has clearly struggled this year, especially by really only having one car in the fight because Bryce is a rookie last year and sort of sophomore year struggles this year. Clearly that's going to hurt Chaz a little bit. Although again, on that side, you could argue that Adam and Chaz do their own thing Mm. in that car anyway, Adam DeBore, the engineer. So does it really matter? But you, you would imagine that there is, there's gotta be 
fundamental benefit from having two A-level oh, drivers sure. in your team, irrespective of what tangent your own engineer goes well, off look on. Look at every other successful team, Richard, and they've it's, both got. But especially, correct, but especially going into a new rule set. Yeah. When it's what Adam does on his car might not work for Chaz you need as well as it does on the current yeah. car. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is going to be a completely different way of going supercar racing. The cars will be fundamentally different to manage. Yeah. So Percat, Heimgartner, I haven't missed anything, have I? They're the only two real big decisions. No, they're the, they're the big driver, driver lineup ones. Yeah. Okay. It's all a bit messy, yeah. though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No doubt. Uh, hey, well, one last thing there. Well, what good's a contract anyway? Because no, Percat well, signed his Brad Jones contract in June. Or was it such a contract or, ever been? Or did he? Or did we all just misinterpret that release? And instead of resigned, it was instead of resigned, it was resigned. Oh, no, mm, normally that knows. missing missing dash <laughs> is the other way around, and it's a scary situation where they pull the pin. <laughs> hey, uh, we should also touch on what was an amazing Grand mm. Prix from Australian's uh, perspective with Daniel Ricciardo getting his first win in a couple of years. Uh, is that was it all happened, didn't it? Good that sport. Verstappen, that, that Verstappen and Hamilton thing is just fearing and blown all out of proportion now. It's it's ace, isn't it? It's it is. so it's <laughs> not gloves, it is glad they're fist, okay. But UFC at its best. Yeah, it is. And you you feel like you're watching something that in 20 years' time, we're going to be going, oh, do you remember when Verstappen and Hamilton kept crashing into each other? How good was that? It is Prost and Center. It's that. It's exactly just in that. different teams. Mm. Yeah, uh, it was. Um, it was tremendous. I um, I'm disappointed Max got penalised honestly because I it was racing in my my books, which means zero racing incident. Lewis coming out of pit lane, cold rubber. Max barreling down the straight, went around the outside, and all the kidlets in Formula Two managed to pull that move off the whole weekend, where you go around the outside of the first part of the Redafilio driver on the right-hand side to give enough racing room for someone to nail that inside curve, get it done, and then you drag race up through Curva Grande up to the second chicane. But the two alleged best drivers in the world crashed into each other. So, fantastic. They, they, they don't have the respect there, do they? And, and that's the no. thing in European racing is that you can just escort people off the track. We saw it on the very first lap between those two mm. guys, and it was Max carting Lewis off. Mm. And that was all fair because he just wobbled across the infield and, and rejoined. There's no inch given anywhere along there, which is uh, great. I, I think it's going to be sensational when they biff into each other for the next however many rounds are left and Bottas wins the whole bloody thing. <laughs> Would that have not been the case, though, a, a push wide for Hamilton had that sausage curb not been there? Uh, that, that was definitely the thing that sent Max's car into the air. Yeah. Oh, clearly. Clearly, absolutely. But it's there for a reason because people take the you-know-what with the inside of the chicane. So it's chicken and the egg. Do you put the curb there and risk it sending a car into another one or do you just let them take the absolute Mickey shortcutting corners? And we've seen the dramas with track limits in F1 this year. It's worse than it's ever been. So again, what do you do? I, I just feel like there should have been, there was room for Lewis to open the steering a little bit and let Max up the inside a little bit more. Sorry to go off on a tangent, but it goes back to the, First chicane at the IndyCar race in the weekend of Portland yes. when everyone crashed. And the the way IndyCar sorted that debacle out is that cars that didn't crash line up first, that made around yep. the corner will line up first, then cars who cut the chicane, then cars who crashed. 
Yep. So you had Scott Dixon who got punted off the track. He had to line up at the back. Yeah. It was the most ridiculous, nonsensical thing that's ever been made. Mm. And they then had a half hour safety car trying to figure yeah, it out. Reset the field. Yeah, correct. Correct. No, it was it was great. And then the motor race as a whole, that that was a, a peak in it, but it was a really good race. And coupled by the fact that at Monza, the DRS, because they run no wing there anyway, the DRS isn't powerful. So the DRS works as it should work at every track there, where it keeps the car behind in close enough company to pull off a really good move if they can, yeah. but it's not a free overtake, which I think is tremendous. And, and as a result, we had a, a train of five or six cars led by our boy Danny Ricardo out in front, who was absolutely magnificent. Now, I've watched every single one of his race wins live. That is by far and away his best drive in Formula One in a car that was fast, but it's not the fastest car on the grids. To manage that race the way he did, mistake-free, under immense pressure the whole way through, managed the pit stop shuffle brilliantly, had the teammate behind, had Mercs and Red Bulls flying up behind them with all sorts of things going on, did not put a foot wrong. And delivered a, a tremendous win. First win for McLaren since 2012, which was so good to see as a long-suffering McLaren fan. That was great. But for, for Ricardo, for all the chat this year of him being smoked by Lando, that was such a good reply. Such mm. a good reply. Yeah. And it was inevitable at some point that everything would gel and he'd be right. And that was the moment. And I absolutely loved it. It was such a good, good moment in, in sport. There were a right, few right. people on the uh, commentary team that seemed a little bit concerned about the fact that Lando wasn't given the opportunity to pass. Yeah, there was, wasn't there? The uh, When that radio message came over, I, I laughed and I put it on Twitter that it was interesting hearing all the English commentators explaining why the English driver wasn't allowed to pass the Australian in front of him. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> How good are the Ashes going to be this summer, PS? So... Yeah, I thought that was that was good, but they're a British broadcaster calling for a predominantly British audience, so they can do whatever they want. Yeah, they certainly can. Can I just go back to the Hamilton and Verstappen thing? The only thing that concerned me, and I put this on our group chat earlier on, but I'll, and I'll make it public, is the fact that Max just hopped out of his car and walked away. At no point did he actually turn around to see whether Lewis was hurt or not. And I thought, that, and I understand the friction. I understand that, you know, Lewis had a bit of a joke about when he punted Max off a few weeks ago and all that sort of stuff at Silverstone. But I just would have thought that the first rule of motor racing is if you have a serious accident, you check on how the other driver is. If Because you're the first on the scene. You're there. If there's anything you can do, you yeah. try and do. I don't disagree, but Lewis didn't seem overly perturbed when he fenced Max at cops mm. at 320 k's an hour in the British Grand Prix. There was a fair no. bit of carry on after that race, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it. But it was the same reverse comment. It, it was. Yeah. It was the same after that race where all the Red Bull and Max fans got up Lewis for jumping into the arms of his team and going crazy for winning the British Grand Prix. So, oh, mate, it, it's there. They are absolutely bitter rivals fighting out for the biggest prize in motorsport. So, and they clearly dislike each other. Despite what yeah. they'll say, and they'll we'll patch up and we'll fist bump at the next race and all that rubbish. It's it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. They don't want to see each other hurt. And uh, well done that halo too, by the way. Oh, That's yes. probably the most overt evidence we've ever seen that that thing works. Uh, but yep, it's it's brutal. Absolutely brutal. They don't want to see each other hurt, but I don't think they're going to go and um, cradle them out of the car. 
It hasn't affected Lewis's sense of dress, though. Oh, and I literally made I don't want to talk dress. about that. Did he? Did you see that? Why do you wore a wedding dress under a suit? The Met Gala. I don't want to talk about it. I don't understand. What is the Met Gala anyway? I don't understand no, I no that that at all. But you're talking to someone who last the, wore a suit in 2019. So the Met you know, to me is the Metropolitan Museum in New York. But I don't think they were there. Well, were I think they? that's what. I think yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't for, want to talk about it. Further, it's your point. Like. I, for one, will be a bit disappointed when lockdown ends and I have to wear pants again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Exactly. Yes. Or pants well, that are pajama pants. Well, yeah, but maybe they'll just become the style now. <laughs> I hope so. Everyone spent two years wearing them. Maybe that's just what we wear from now on in. I'm okay with it. We all got pajama get some, pants. Yeah. I've get, seen get some business shorts for summer. <laughs> I've seen some dodgy, like, clearly not licensed Porsche track pants like pajama pants on eBay that I reckon I could roll to a Carrera Cup round. I think that's yeah, well, nice. Yeah, give it a shot. They're comfort, great. <laughs> Get a bit of airflow, lovely. All right, we're going to uh, knock into our top five for this week, <laughs> and uh, it comes off the back of how did we actually come up with this one? Oh, we were bored. But <laughs> I was looking at fashion websites. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing to collected me. memorabilia. And I'm I'm calling shotgun to go first on this, by the way. And so specifically, motorsport memorabilia. Did we say yes. that? Or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yes. Cool. Look, yeah. it's a bit loose leaf. Like make it up, make it up as you go along. All right. Yeah. Mm. So uh, our favourite pieces of motor racing memorabilia we have in our various collections. And if you're listening to this now, have a look around the room you're in. Might be your office, your garage, man cave, and. Uh, let us know what your favourite pieces are at the Race Talk on our social medias. We had a great reaction to our top five topic last week. We had some really good selections on our social media from that. So thank you. We'll um, we'll put those up on our socials again. So let us know your favourite pieces of motorsport memorabilia. I'm going to start with number five. And Before you do, can I just get clarification? Yeah. Do best podcast award trophies count as memorabilia? Because yes. I'm, yeah. I'm collecting yes, them. Yes, they do. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> they do. Them. It's a... <laughs> It's a pretty vain solution, but just uh, ask your friend. But um, uh, okay, number one is my PR of the year. Number two is the photo of the year. Number three is the other photo of the year I won. I could fill my five list. Exactly. (laughs) This will be a very short segment. (laughs) Well, my favourite one was uh, 2013. Um, so I'm going to start number five, and I'm doing this because I got a feeling Shebeki may have uh, his version of this in his top five. So I wanted to get in first. Uh, we haven't mentioned it much on this show in the past, but uh, you may or may not know that in 2016, we went to the 100th running of the Indianapolis Correct. 500. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. Shocking. Now, on the Thursday, <laughs> on the Thursday, uh, this is a visual meeting. We had this problem last week, but Shebeki's gone to pick up exactly the thing that we're talking about here on the Thursday of the event, we rolled up and there was Indy lights practice that got canceled because it rained. So we went to the IMS museum. It's brilliant. Fantastic. We spent a couple of hours poking around old Indy cars in there out the front of it though, to celebrate Elio Castro and Evers running the Pennzoil car for team Penske was a Pennzoil display in the reception area, um, just past the merch area as you walk into the museum and they were handing out probably, I'm going to say, 35 centimetre by 35 centimetre square towels, terry toweling towels, the kind of stuff you'd 
wash your face with or whatever. Um, with just hold it up again, Shabeki, so I can see it. Yeah. In this this audio <laughs> medium. It's a Penzo Hotel. It's got 052916, which is the date for that year's Indy 500, around the wrong way because it's American. Uh, Team Penske with hashtag Yelio Submarine because of Elio Castro Nevis. So they were giving away these towels and we thought we'd grab them. And they're very handy to have because Indianapolis in the month of May can be quite humid. So when you're as fat as I am, you get a bit of a sweat on. They can be very, very useful. Hold up. You gave me one of them. Is it a secondhand one that you gave me? No, I went through the washing machine first. Oh, thank God for that. With it. Did I give you one of those? Yes, you I was did. wondering where my <laughs> spare one went. <laughs> so we went and got ourselves uh, some towels. Now, by we, I'm talking about myself, Mr. Shebeki, and motorsport broadcaster Matt Nolte. That was all great. Right up until the point when my two colleagues decided that one or two towels wasn't enough and they needed to depart Indianapolis with an entire haberdashery store. So <laughs> I, I was quite disproving of this because, you it know, was. while I'm happy to take You were so South towels, Australian in that 20 minutes. I thought taking the piss and going and grabbing a handful of 10 of them each was probably just a little bit wrong. But So I looked, stood back disprovingly while the other two idiots went and got themselves some towels. But they turned out very, very handy. Uh, I've only ever got the one left. It's framed hanging on my wall because it's great memories and memories of a tremendous, tremendous weekend away where we were still very hungover while this was occurring. But so the yellow Pennzoil Elio Castroneves tower from the 100th running of the Indy 500 makes my number five position. That's my number five as well. And I can't describe it any better, Mark. Without incriminating myself further. Yeah, and I you can see the, I can see the stack of ten of them behind you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shebeki a few weeks ago sort of grouped things together, and I'm doing this because I, I haven't had time to really think about it and, and narrow it down. So my number – well, first of all, honourable mention to car bits. I've got a couple of car bits. So I've got a Cody Crocker WRX um, fog lamp cover that I found at a – out in the middle of the bush and he said oh bring it back later i'll sign it and at about 2 a.m at the after party i got him to sign it and he was very surprised that that was a thing that happened in his life and the other was um the week before moth won at winton he sh- he backed it in at turn one two three four and the, the back wing fell off it and on race weekend i found it there in the grass took it back to the team it's like do you want this because it's perf- perfectly fine there's nothing wrong with it and they said no nah. uh and then i got moth to sign and kept it so whatever bits um my number five is photos like i've just got boxes and piles and cds and hard drives and so many photos i think the favorite one i took was uh 2003 bathurst 24-hour uh brocky and the big narrow friday night practice pulling out of the, the pit lane and i had the poxiest digital cameras a fuji digital camera that cost about 200 bucks at the time like it was a piece of junk but it took this radtacular photo uh it's made it to auto action a few times over the years which was would have been pretty uh disappointing for all the photographers who spent more than 200 bucks on their camera um the other one was a photo uh back when the the v8 circus came to town back in the day it wasn't a, a big bells and whistles production it used to just be barry oliver would lob in and the local commentators would help him out and 2002 qr uh ambrose jammed the au falcon on pole position someone got a photo of me interviewing Unky Marcus. There's uh, Campbell Little in the background. Gove is over my shoulder taking notes. Paul Gover. 
uh, and the cars in the background. So it's a really cool photo. Marcus signed it at the time, and then years later, we'd I'd wind up working for him for a few years. So yeah, good memories. Photos number five, outstanding. Number, number four, four for me, Shebeki, is back in two thousand and six at the Formula One Australian Grand Prix. Bruno Senna came to race Australian F3 and he drove with Team BRM. Uh, I was in my second year working for the category, third year working for the team and got the phone call. Oh, Bruno's coming. You're looking after him. Oh, right. Okay. No worries. And if you haven't experienced the Senna pull at a Grand Prix, it remains as remarkable now as it did in 2006, as it did in 1996 as it did in 1986. So there was I looking after Bruno for the weekend, managing interview requests of which there were many managing fans. We had to bunt off the front of a Formula 3 garage, which has never happened before because there were people five or six deep. There were fans that had driven over from Adelaide just to see Bruno because they'd grown up watching it and run at the Australian Grand Prix when it was in Adelaide. It was just fantastic. Uh, our official photographer at the time was Dirk Kleinsmith, friend of the show. He took some amazing photos and we went and got them printed on the Saturday night. So on the Sunday, as a bit of a memento, we got Bruno to sign them. And he was very, very gracious with his time. Super, super bloke. He was only young at the time. He'd won his first ever car race with us in F3 and BRM on the Friday of that Grand Prix. So it was a big, big weekend for him, and it meant a lot to him as well. And he, re- I think he really appreciated the effort that everyone went to, and, and we certainly appreciated him. So we got these um, two photos signed, one of the iconic headshot, and if it wasn't for the fact that it's a modern helmet and it's got Bruno Senna's website address, it's Ayrton. The eyes staring through is Ayrton Senna. And then a cool shot of the Delara. It was the John Deere car that Ben Lucas won the championship in that year, bright car, Looked amazing at speed. So sign those. Um, my folks actually got them framed for me as a birthday present. Um, and they're up on my wall in my office. But really special memory of a really cool event. Great guy. And it was awesome to be part of that weekend for someone with a, a really significant impact uh, on the sport. So that's my number four. Number right. four for me. The funny thing is, is that if I actually went around to a few teams and asked them for pieces, bits and pieces, I'd probably get some stuff and you can claim that as memorabilia and you keep it and it's great. But I've always tended to buy most of my memorabilia at auctions. So I go along to a, uh, a charity auction for a footy club or something and they've got something that's been given to them and then I normally buy it. And in one case, I actually bought the piece that I actually gave. I asked a team for a piece, gave it to the footy club. No one else bought it, so I bought it back. And that piece is the Shane Van Gisbergen wheel nut. From mm. uh, I can, I clear, I can clearly see your nuts. Hey, I can clearly see your nuts. Yes, signed by Shane. There you can see that. Uh, yeah, that's well, we can. eighty bucks. Oh yeah, which supporting a local local sporting club. That's all exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I don't. I have no uh, idea. I can't remember what year it was. I can't remember anything. But that's just a piece of memorabilia. Good one. Uh, my number four is clothing, shirts and caps. I mean, I've always kept one of all my team shirts from over the years, which is just a journey of fat and thin mark. And <laughs> right now it's back to fat. So uh, a fair few of them will um, not fit anymore, which is uh, why they're 
sitting in a box. Um, and I actually also stole a few photo bibs over the journey too from final rounds and things, or like the Australian Grand Prix. They're a special Australian Grand Prix photo bib, so you can't, you know, hock them off an eBay or anything. Um, one, one shirt that stands out for mine was 2014. Uh, I was doing the JD Vat uh, Supercar stuff. PR and at the start of the year you sit there and you make a plan for the year what what milestones are coming up and I fabricated one that it was the 300th race for the brand in Townsville and it was pretty good so what we what we did um, it's a story for another day but we redid all the cars for Sunday uh, and the 300 brace and the, they look really smart and that weekend the merch stand uh, did up uh, a free t-shirt you bought something just JD and they gave you a free t-shirt and every year you go back to Townsville and there's always these JD 300 race t-shirts getting around. Oh, I saw one this year. There you go. Dead set saw one this year. The yeah. problem was, and here's a, here's a podcast exclusive. This is why it is worth listening to the 42nd minute or whatever it is of the podcast. It was a complete joke. It wasn't true because the 300th race was on Saturday. They jammed an extra race in the season in New Zealand earlier mm. in the year <laughs> and it threw everything out. No one thought about it. No one mentioned it. And the 300th race was actually Saturday and no one really celebrated it then anyway. But that's life. So that's that shirt. Hat-wise, um, I used to – all the commentators, all the different jobs at the V8 rounds used to get their own hats. If you're a flag marshal, you get a hat that said flag marshal. And they had two or three – commentator hats at all the different rounds and we'd all fight over them and I'd win because I'd run the fastest or something. Or, or no, I was the pit lane commentator. So I need to wear a commentator hat to look like the king flog of pit lane so people would actually talk <laughs> to me. Um, so I got a few of those and they're, they're pretty cool. The other cool hat was um, they had a tweet up at a NASCAR race once and, you know, it's punters and media members and they'd bring along a couple of special guests to these things. And it was Earl Barbin, the spotter for Jimmy Johnson, was there and he asked some question and I answered it correctly. And I got a, a Jimmy Johnson 48 hat off Earl Barbin. So that's a cool thing. Well, right. Yep. Number three, Richard. Number three is my book collection. I'm very proud of my book collection. And in when I was a kid, all I wanted was a room with a wall of books. And many, 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 I didn't want much when I was young. I had, I didn't have big ambitions. Um, and now many, many, many years later, I've achieved that. I have a wall of books. Uh, last count, the library somewhere in the 450 to 500 vicinity, but the, the, thing i like more is that i have 25 linear meters of books which i think is great so my office is six meters long at its widest point which is where my bookshelf runs that entire length and there are 22 linear meters of books in that bookshelf and i measured that with a tape measure about 15 minutes before we came on air so i'm very proud of my book collection it continues to expand uh, I'm most proud as well of the fact that two of them in it are ones that I've co-authored, which I never thought would either happen either. Head to bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au to buy Going Global, the 10-year uh, history of the Bathurst 12 hours, a GT race, uh, and the Adelaide 500 history as well. But very proud of my book collection. I like it a lot. And that's number three for mine, nice and simple. Hmm. Excellent. Uh, number three for me is a... Nissan pushrod, I think that you would call that, would you? I'd call that a valve, but sure. A valve, sorry, yes, that'll do. Uh, 
when Nissan announced that they were going to join up with Cali Racing back in the 4th of September 2012 at the actual launch, I think we were all given one of these. So that's something that I've kept for a while. And I love that you think this is show and tell. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, showing you guys. I'm... I don't know when else could see it, but... <laughs> yeah. Two weekends in a row. Where maybe we should just release the, we the recording. Release the video yeah. Just it'd mm. really save Shebeki a lot of problems here, really, wouldn't it? It's two weeks in a row. Wait until I show you. The What's your number three, mate? Uh, my, yeah. my, my number three. I need a man cave like all all of you guys. I'm sitting here with a non man cave in my background. Uh, posters. Um, all the the ones from when I was kids. They're still up in storage at mum and dad's house. So if there's a fire there, it'll probably be a very large one <laughs> emanating from the <laughs> under the house po- poster storage area. Um, uh, there's a, I've got a few here in Melbourne with me at the moment. Uh, there's some of those, uh, you know, newspaper things that they hand out at podiums and stuff. Mustang wins Bathurst 2019. That was a cool one. Um, Stoney did a Marcus Ambrose Christmas card in 2011. That was a good year. And, and Marcus did that up as a poster and sent that to me. So that was nice. Um, the, the other one, I think the favorite one was Stoney also did up, uh, cartoon for the 2014 Bathurst road trip with the Bluebird and the Kelly brothers wound up in the back page of unique cars and we got the original off it made up into a poster the backstory to it is is that you know it's supposedly Rico and TK in the front seat of the Bluebird the thing was for the pre-event shoot I went to the two dollar shop in Chapel Street in Melbourne and bought a two dollar wig for TK to wear at that photo shoot Thing was, it never hit his head during the whole road trip. That was on my head the whole road trip up to Bathurst. So the drawing is of this dude there wearing a blonde wig sitting in the front seat of the Bluebird, which I believe was myself. So I've got that somewhere, and that's one of my favourites, I reckon. Nice. Number Mm. two. Number two, uh, again, from my Formula 3 days, and they're two prints that, are quite significant to me because it represents both work and also friendships built along the way in the sport and and a lot of my friendships in the sport are long lasting which is very very cool so there's two prints on my wall one of them is from tander sport and leanne tander for working with them in the 2008 australian formula three championship gold star quite significant things happened in those couple of years for leanne she was the first driver in 50 years of gold star competition to win a race first female driver, which was a huge moment and got lots of media as well. So I was involved in helping to manage that process for them along that journey. And the other one was presented to be my Tim Macro, who's been on the show a couple of times. He's still a good mate that after winning the F3 championship in 2017, he produced these cool prints that he handed out to his members of the team and was gracious enough to give me one as well. So Great memories from just two fantastic years of racing. 07 and 08 were peak open wheel in Australia for mine as, as an open wheel purist. And it's uh, tremendous memories, great photos, cool to look back on them and they're up on my wall and they will remain so. So for the, the sort of personal side, that's significance of being involved in two careers of two really, really genuinely great people, let alone great racing car drivers and great teams. Uh, that's what makes my number two spot. Number two for me are my two pieces of uh, car parts. You you mentioned you had a few yourself, Richard, but my two that sit in my uh, man cave, my study here, 
of course, the first rock Ford door, which was uh, used by Steve Johnson. Now, I understand this is a visual medium, but how well did you bolt that to the roof? Because I see no, it every week. Extremely well. Oh, well, I'm still worried about your head, mate. Like, it, it is <laughs> gravity is going to win that no, battle. No, no, no. The, the hooks are actually screwed into the timber bearers in the roof. And then I've got big, thick chain wrapped around the door onto the hooks. It ain't going nowhere. Right, I will. We'll report back on gravity in a couple of weeks' time. If <laughs> yeah, it's just Mark and I on the show here, mate. <laughs> next week, <laughs> uh, and also the other piece too is a uh, Steve Johnson, of course, with that door. Steve Richards, when he was driving supercars, uh, supercars, especially at Tickford or Pro Drive, I think they were back then. In that day, uh, I have a right-hand headlight with uh, the BP Ultimate sticker across the front of it as well. Nice. Hmm. And I don't need Steve to sign it because he already has. Good. Uh, my number two, it's a, a book. It's a, a folder of old clippings from when I started being a motorsport journalist in inverted commas 20-odd <laughs> years ago, uh, you know, doing photos and, and words for whoever would take them. You know, I started out with the local newspaper, then graduated to the reserve backup at Motorsport News in Queensland for club events when Mark Jones was off an assignment elsewhere. So had a few stories there. The first one there was... I think it was Surface Paradise Saloon Cars 2000. And I think Aaron Noonan probably called me up on the Tuesday after the race. Can you write a race report for that thing that you didn't watch on the weekend? Oh, yeah, no worries. Then I went to the dark side and went off to auto action for 10 years. Um, My first assignment there was to go and get photos of Stephen Johnson, common theme. Uh, He did a piano thing with a girl called Ellie Wood at the Dick Johnson workshop. Then they went to Darlington Park and... I did a story on that for some reason. I don't know why. And then the first club race report there was uh, Will Power at Lakeside in the Formula Ford in the stealth smoking everyone there, which was cool. You know, one of my favourites was Lieburn one year, the Lieburn Spritz, which were just held this last weekend. I think they were a bit short on motorsport journalists in Queensland at the time because I wound up doing photos and words for auto action street machine magazine sports car and racer the oily rag the mini mag and australian classic car magazine so there wasn't a lot of talent getting around and i had to try and rephrase the same hundred cars in 10 different ways which was entertaining for me but um yeah the old old clippings book i like it yeah Excellent. that's cool that's really cool you want to lead off the number ones richard I will. I will. Now, it's not necessarily the most significant piece of memorabilia I've got, but it is certainly the most expensive. It's certainly the probably one of the largest bits of single memorabilia I've got. And it's also turned out to be one of the more practical ones as well. So cast your mind back to the 2008 Australian Formula 3 Championship, <laughs> and they went to the Gold Coast for the final round. And as what happens on the Gold Coast, especially on the long track. Smash, smash. Oh, there's shunts. There's so many shunts. And barreling down into the second chicane, what happened was Field concertina up on the opening lap and Nathan Karate, West Australian driver driving for Team BRM, drilled the rear gearbox, the gearbox hanging out the rear of Leanne Tander's Tander Sport Delara. Big impact. Leanne's car ended up crunch, crunch, crunch into the fence with three and a half corners missing. Karate out of the race. Other cars involved. Lots of damage. Typical Gold Coast open wheel shunt. 
uh, I rolled down to BRM, who were based in Adelaide, after the event, and there was a pile of debris from <laughs> ruined Formula 3 cars. And Mark Rundle, the team boss, was like, if you want any of that crap, it's yours. I was like, excellent. Thank you. And in it, in that pile, was the nose box from Nathan Karate's Delara F307. Now, a carbon fiber nose box for a Delara Formula 3 car is somewhere in the range of $4,000 Australian dollars to buy. It's a bloody substantial piece of carbon yeah. fibre, as the Americans say, because it's, it's the crash structure, right? So that's what absorbs the impact. Now, this one absorbed a lot of impact, and the reason it couldn't be fixed, and it went to Carlo Lunetta, who's Australia's number one guru in carbon fibre, it went to him, it couldn't be fixed. Massive hole on the flat plane at the bottom of the nose box so it comes down to the point on the top of it it had punched the carbon down as nathan had drilled the hewland gearbox on the back of leanne's car gearboxes are aluminum why am i speaking american um gearbox is aluminium punched a very very big <laughs> hole in it so it was beyond repair worthless piece of carbon fiber i thought all right that'll look terrific in my office little did i know that down the road i bought my house housewarming and was looking for an ice bucket and i looked at my carbon fiber nose box and i thought hmm if i turn that upside down and cable tie it to one of the veranda posts <laughs> not only will it hold almost a full carton of beer and several bottles of very decent barossa riesling it will hold the accompanying ice and as the ice melts and drains the leanne tander sized hole in the bottom of it We'll drain it all out onto my lawn. So I have a four and a half thousand dollar carbon fiber made in Italy wine cooler. And it is one of my favorite pieces of merchandise and memorabilia that I own. Did it have any That's chicken wire? I remember some chicken wire at the bottom. To there was a little bit of chicken bit. wire support just to raise the level of the drinks. Yeah. But since we did that in level one, because you were at my house with mm. me, um, we've, we've gone to version two where basically just fill it with more beer. And oh, I see. Oh, what a what yeah. a cunning strategy! I like yeah. it. Yeah, 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 good one. And it Is becomes, it hard it to actually put your arm in? No, because you go in from the top, so it's like it's as wide as the pedal box of the car, where it bolts okay. onto the front yeah. of the tub. I'd show you, but this is a podcast, so you know yeah. I won't. <laughs> My number one is that hat. Great. It's the Michelin. Thanks for listening to us, ladies and gentlemen. Nice <laughs> to be with <laughs> It is a Michelin blue podium hat, which I flogged from the 2006 WRC event in Hamilton, and it belonged to one Mikko Hervenen, who ah. finished second in that race. Well, I say I flogged it. I didn't necessarily flog it. He took it off his head after the podium and put it on a table and then walked away. He's so you stole it. These other people, what do you call them? His entourage walked with him and the hat was left on the table. Oh, possessions nine-tenths of the law, Shebex. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. I thought nobody wants it. He was pissed off for finishing second to his teammate. Of course, that was Marcus Gronholm. So he didn't want it. So I have taken it. The first and really only junket that I've ever been on in motor racing, I, I know that a lot of the, the uh, car journalists go to Europe and all that sort of stuff, to all the car shows and stuff. But this was uh, an amazing opportunity given to me by Subaru. I was a guest of theirs. Uh, Chris Atkinson was driving the Subaru at the time, was hoped that he would win the rally. So a whole lot of Aussie journalists were taken over to New Zealand for that year. Spent an evening listening to Will Hagen recite poetry 
for a couple of hours over a beautiful oh, steak and a lovely wow. pinot. Uh, <laughs> what? Yes, out of interest. What sort of poems? <laughs> Haikus? What are we hmm. talking here? Oh, no, no. It was proper, like, uh, Banjo Patterson stuff and all that, fully recited. No, no prompting of words. It was just amazing to listen to the man with that voice, that Will Hagen voice, uh, do that was beautiful it was a fantastic weekend some of the best photos that i've ever taken in my life were taken there because i got right down low on the gravel inside farm fences as cars were coming past but i cannot find the the disc that i've put the it's around somewhere and when i find it i'll show you the photos but yeah that that's it yeah show them on next week's podcast shebex <laughs> well, but otherwise my michelin podium hat from the 2006 WRC in Hamilton, probably becomes my biggest and most memorable piece of memorabilia. Excellent work. Um, I'm going to steal one of Richard's here. I'm going with books. Um, I weighed mine. I didn't measure them. I've got 388 kilos of books. Nice. No, Gee, I've got really? no idea. Now, I counted my bookcase, and I've got 369 in the bookcase. But then there's all the ones that don't make the bookcase. So mm. that's probably slowed me down a bit is a lack of space in said bookcases. But, um, yeah, love a, love a good car book. I mean, I think some of the favourites, Rapid Response, Dr. Steve Olvey, that one's an absolute cracker. You know, the Zanardi book, for that matter, as well, is also an absolute rip snorter. Um, Unfair Advantage, Mark Donahue, legend. Uh, the Rise and Fall of Peter Brock, which was pretty much uh, the Slug Harvey book, but just... Sprayed mm. a lot of bullets at Peter yeah. Brock on the way out, which was sensational. Um, I, I love the Motor Race yearbooks. Got the full set of them. Now, this is where I need help, is the Great Race Annuals. I've got all of them bar number 11, 1991. I'm aware I can go to eBay and play blood money for it <laughs> and get a copy off there, but I'd prefer to give someone I know or a listener – the opportunity, if they want to offload their great race, 1991, number 11, I know what they're worth. They're worth a lot of money, and I'll pay you a lot of money because that's the one book I need to finish my collection. It'll bump something else off the bookshelf, but uh, that's the one. Did you just look behind you there, and you're thinking of getting some blood money off me there, Richard? What year do you need? Sorry. 91, Bathurst yearbook. Yeah, no, I don't have that either. Oh, um, that's two we need. But well, But what I need is... Okay. Uh, green yearbook, yeah. memory, uh, number 24. So if anyone out there has got number I 24. I, I thought I gave you one. Uh, of that wasn't in the collection, my friend. Oh, got it. You go and have another look, but uh, no. Okay. So yeah, if anyone's out there at the race, talk to us up on socials. Send us a direct message, actually, so no one else cottons on the way. And money will be exchanged. That has been guaranteed. Or all, all of our money. Like it's, all favors, it's all going to go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have we have thing. We've got merch. We can do stuff. Oh, that's good. Good list. I like it. I like it. I'm going to go and find some more merch now. I like it. I'm sure we've got some around somewhere. You'll probably hit you in the head soon, judging by <laughs> when it falls down. There. <laughs> and that's good. Don't forget, yeah. folks. Let us know. We we'd love to get your you, you favorite wait. stuff. The, the punters are going to have some absolute rip shot. Oh, by the amazing. way, I've got a I've got a Brock Tirana. Like yeah. you just wait. You Correct. wait. Yeah. Oh, you mean I could have put my cars in this? No. No. Okay. No. Uh yeah. So let us know at the race talk, Facebook, Twitter, IG. We'd love your favorite bits of motorsport memorable abelia. 
let us know. And uh, the best ones will make the podcast next week and we'll put them up on the website as well. All right, that wraps it up, boys. Uh, as we send it away, we should also uh, congratulate our good mate, Dale Rogers. His birthday today as we record, yesterday yeah. as you listen. Tuesday the 14th. Happy birthday, Dale. He's, I, I can only imagine the memorabilia that Dale would have in his collection or stuff that he sold and probably become extremely wealthy off. Mm. I would imagine there's, there's been some gems. I, Mark, did clean out Dale's book collection a couple of years ago, actually. Did you now? Yeah, I did. Yep. Were you, were you the oh, bloke who robbed No, no. No, there was well, legitimate that's cash right. money change hands. Oh, that's right. I, I took all of David Siegel, so whatever. Yeah, well, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dale. Yep. Happy birthday, Dale. Thanks for joining us, boys. Thank you for joining us again right here on The Grid.